You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. How about them Cajuns? Welcome into Crunch Time on a Wednesday, Matt Miguez. Here in the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The Louisiana Rage and Cajuns. Went into Alex Box Stadium last night to face the top-ranked LSU Tigers and took care of business, winning 8-5 to five over the top-ranked team in the country. The Cajuns scoring two runs apiece in the second, third, and fourth innings and then adding two insurance runs in the seventh. David Christie was your winning pitcher after a gem of a performance, plus a- another great outing from Will Veon and Connor Higgs. We'll get into that matchup. We'll talk about what it means for both programs. Plus, we will also be talking with Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Cajuns. He was in Alex Box Stadium last night. We'll get his perspective. And plus, we'll do Who Dat Wednesday as we are a week away from the NFL draft. But my producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, happy hump day. How are you? Happy hump day, Matt. Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, I know you were doing good, but I think you're not doing as good after what happened about 10 minutes ago. No, my <laughs> my lunch got ruined. Bruh. So I had this nice little setup of homemade pulled pork sliders. Had the pulled pork in one container. I had the bun, the little slider buns in another container. When heat everything up, everything was good to go. And as I'm walking back to my desk with my food, the container with the buns in it just slips out of my hands. <laughs> Slippery buns, I guess. Idiot. Ha <laughs> ha, idiot. So, if, if you see me just kind of start withering away a little bit right here, it's just because I haven't eaten. Anything other than a junior bacon cheeseburger from Burger King. But uh, look, when looking at this baseball game, I know you look at the Cajuns' last couple of games and they picked up a win on Sunday against Troy, but it still felt off. Like you came out of that Troy series feeling like you got swept, honestly. Um, And so the Cajuns were in a little bit of a funk. They needed something to go their way. Julian Brock was struggling with food poisoning. Kyle DeBarge isn't as ready as you may have thought he was to come back from that hand injury. Again, you just needed something to go right. So you went over to Baton Rouge, played top-ranked team in the country, a game that is always competitive and always entertaining. And the the Tigers started with the first offense. They got an RBI triple out of Cade Beloso to score Tommy White. That made it one to nothing. But then after that, every single time the Cajuns came up to the plate for the next three innings, they put two runs on the board. They scored two in the top of the second. 
Made it 2-1. to one. LSU answers with one. It's tied up. Cajuns come right back, score two more runs. LSU scores one. Make it a one-run game. Cajuns add two more to make it 6-3. 6-3 after four, and from there, you know, you really needed strong pitching to carry you the rest of the way, and David Christie absolutely did that. His longest outing of his career, he went six innings in this contest for Louisiana, gives up three hits, only gives up one run. He walked four. He only struck out one. But through 93 pitches, faced 24 batters, and got them to only three hits in this contest. It was the first time this season, James, that a pitcher had pitched six innings against LSU and had only given up one or less runs. He was, Christie was the first pitcher to do it this year. No pitcher has pitched six innings and given up less than a run. A run or less, should I say. Less than two runs. How crazy is that? And then you, you add that with a two-run shot from Heath Hood. And then later, a two-run shot from Connor Higgs, who has just been electric over the last week. And up 8-3 to three in the seventh inning, I mean, you, you felt like this game was over. However, no lead is safe with LSU. Trey Morgan hits a two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth, and they just really couldn't get anything to string together after that. Um, but you'll hear from... You'll hear from players and Matt Deggs here in a little bit, and the message was simple. You got exactly what you needed. This team played a complete game, and they were able to put it all together. Um, and, and honestly, it feels like this was the first game this season that the Cajuns were able to have everything clicking, whether it's hitting, whether it's pitching, whether it's defense in the field. Everything was on point for the Cajuns last night. And now you might sit there and go, oh, well, Matt, they gave up five runs. You, gave up five, you only gave up five runs to the best offense in the country. Maybe the best offense ever. I mean, this lineup is insane. I mean, you look at it. Dylan Cruz, yeah, he walked three times, but he didn't get a base hit. He never got a base hit. Tommy White had a 4-for-5 game, but didn't bring in any runs. And the only run that he scored was off that triple in the first. Jared Jones didn't get any base hits. Cade Beloso went 1-for-5. Jordan Thompson went 1-for-4. You controlled their best hitters. And you went up against that lineup with no fear. And you got it done. It was it was UL's first win over a top twenty five or the top ranked opponent since twenty fourteen. Uh, coincidentally, it was against LSU. And now the Cajuns have moved up fourteen spots in the RPI. They've gone up from seventy five to sixty one, which is monumental because 
if you look at the schedule the rest of the way for the Cajuns, you've got a JMU series this weekend. The Cajuns should win two out of three, if not sweep that series. You have a game against Southern. That's a win. You got a game against Northwestern State. That should be a win. And then next weekend, you got a three game series with Coastal Carolina. Now, Coastal Carolina is number 10 in the country. And according to D1 Baseball, they are number 11 in the RPI. Just playing them helps you. Now, imagine having the home field advantage of Russo Park behind you. Take a game. Hell, win the series. You're going to skyrocket. Then you got a series against Texas State, which is another well-respected opponent in the Sun Belt. They're at 57 in the RPI. Not much better than you, but it's still higher. There's still opportunity to move up a couple spots there. And then you're going to end the season with a series with Southern Miss right before the Sun Belt Tournament. On the road. Win a game there. Win two games there. I don't know. Crazy things can happen in college baseball. But you look at Southern Miss, and they are in the top 20 in RPI. They're at 19. Just playing Coastal Carolina and Southern Miss benefits you. You win a game? You win one of those series? Cool. You're sitting pretty, really pretty if you're Mad Degs on the Cajuns. If that happens, you don't have to win a championship to get in. Right now, I would say you either need the regular season title or the tournament title to get in. You do well against Southern Miss and Coastal, I don't think you need either one of them. Which they very easily can because with this win, that just gives a huge confidence boost to this Cajuns team. Well, what it does, and and I I agree, and I'm going to piggyback off of that because what it does is it shows you that you can hang with anybody. Oh, yeah. There, there's no series at this point or any game that you play against anybody where you're like, no team, oh, well, we, no we don't team scares you anymore. Right, because you just beat the number one team. No team scares you anymore. And I think having that level of confidence for the Cajuns is going to be ginormous heading into this last month of the season. Because, um, again, you're, you're going to play some daunting teams. Coastal, Southern Miss, Texas State. And then you've got ULM and, and JMU sprinkled in there as the last five conference series. Look, out of those last five conference series, if you can win three of them, you're in great shape. You win four of them, oh, oh man, you are in insane shape. So the Cajuns are in a good position right now. Everything is still in front of them, and it, it, it kind of feels like they control their own destiny right now. A little bit. You're not solely in the driver's seat, but you're sitting on the center console. You're you're almost there. You get what I'm saying. James, you get what I'm saying. Don't even look at me like that. <laughs> you're sitting on the dashboard. Well, because here's the thing. <laughs> when, you're, when you're driving and you got somebody sitting in the passenger seat and you want to switch who's driving, but you're lazy and you don't want to like get out of the car, you just pull over, climb over. You've never done that? 
No. I just oh. go around. You see, I'm no. not lazy enough to do that. Who's no? Just jump over. You jump over, and then I jump over. I'll jump over from the b- front to the back, or the back to the front. But I've no, I've never jumped from passenger okay, so, to driver, so then driver it, to passenger. So then use it that way. Okay, going from the back seat to the front seat. Okay, yeah, you sit on the console. Now you're sense. almost there. <laughs> you're almost there. See, I I knew there was a way that I could paint it that you'd understand it. We got a great show lined up for you today. Once again, game hotline 337-706-0111. Jay Walker is going to join us here in about 15 minutes. And then Brendan Ertle joins us in our number two. We'll take a timeout now when we return. Here from Matt Deggs, David Christie, and Connor Higgs on a huge win last night in Baton Rouge. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com. Today, score a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50. That's a $15 voucher that you can get for half the price. And all you got to do is head to AcadianaDeals.com to score $15 to Pizza Artista for only $7.50. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 418, almost 419 here on your Wednesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh for the game hotline. It's 337-706-0111. We're talking about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns taking down the top-ranked LSU Tigers 8-5 to last night at Alex Box Stadium in front of a weeknight crowd, James, of, so on average, Alex Box holds 12, 13 on a good night. How about 11,784 on a Tuesday night? That's impressive. When they talk about one of the craziest atmospheres in college baseball, they are certainly not lying. And for a team that doesn't necessarily care as much about midweek games. Right. 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 I I think it's also part of... I didn't go to the game, obviously, but I would presume that the Cajuns fans travel pretty well. It's an hour down the road. That's what I'm saying. It's like... You're not going to go? It's yep. a big-time matchup. You're playing the, the number one Tigers. C- Cajuns fans certainly traveled. Uh, but following the win, Matt Deggs labeled this as a huge accomplishment for his group. Yeah, Coach Herb Brooks, you know. Great moments are born from great opportunities, and this was this opportunity doesn't get any better. And, uh, you know, that's one of the better ball clubs I've seen in years over there. And uh, they've got a little bit of everything. They got a lot of everything, and uh, they're such a—they're so well coached and uh, played a game the right way. And I knew we would have to to come out and do some uncommon stuff. And we watched the uh, Rich Strike video before the game, and uh, the eighty to one long shot uh, to win a derby. And you know, he was one for seven in his races with three show, two shows, and. Uh, the point was, you know, these guys had won 12 straight midweek games. And, uh, you know, a lot of them by double digits. And, and the, we had a choice to make tonight. We could be uncommon, uh, like Rich Strike, or 
uh, we could come in and follow suit like everybody else has done. And these guys answered the bell and rose to the occasion. And it wasn't just one guy. I know it was a tremendous outing by David Christie, but Fluno gave us a great start. Coop did his thing at the back. And I thought the hitters were just just that. They were nasty tonight. And uh, we were able to run our offense and create. And we left some guys out there. And so, uh, which is never good against this, you know, a group like this that we were playing. So uh, I'm happy for the boys. You know, what what an underdog story to be as banged up as we are. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have Jew out there and Debo and Toit would have come in handy and, you know, Preach is, is barking uh, to come out and, and be able to beat the number one team in the nation on the road is a, a, it's a huge achievement for this group. Head coach Matt Daggs, you know, throughout the season, he's used the term uncommon. And he, he's used it a lot in his time at Louisiana, but he's really used it a lot this season, talking about how he wants his team to be uncommon and to be different. And he said last night they played uncommon baseball. It was real important after falling down one, I, I believe, uh, two outs, they scored. And, uh, you know, we come back and answer right away. And then I think we, you know, gave up another one and then come back and answer again right away. And that's kind of been our MO all year. Uh, just just tough, man. We play tough. And, and uh, tonight we played just uncommon, uncommon baseball tonight. And that's what I wanted out of them tonight. And I'm very, very proud of them. Listening to some of the players, including Connor Higgs, David Christie, and Heath Hood, Heath Hood said that this team was able to put it all together on the field tonight, last night for an 8-5 to five win? I think we put a complete game together like we've been trying to all year. You know, we've done it a few times uh, here and there, but tonight we really we gelled. The, the bats were live. The pitching was stellar. Defense is great, so put it all together. Talking about David Christie going six innings, longest outing of his career after the game, he talked about his night on the mound and the performance that he had. No, you know, I just came in to help help Carson Fluno out, and he got in a bit of a jam there early, and I knew I just needed to get the first guy and start from there, um, fill up the zone, and I knew if, if I'd fill it up for as long as I could, my guys would make plays, and they made it really easy on me tonight. And I didn't have many strikeouts, but I figured throw it over the zone, make them earn their way on, and... As long as they earned everything they got, I'd be fine with whatever happened. And then Connor Higgs coming up big in the contest for Louisiana with a two-run homer in the seventh. He talked with the media about his home run. I was just going in there as confident as, confident as I can, like I said last week, that I, I'm going in there thinking that I'm better than that guy, and then I swung through a changeup, and then he threw me a curveball, and I stayed through it. And what was that trip like around the base? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Refreshing. <laughs> it's good to see the ball leave the park always. <laughs> but, but it's awesome being able to contribute for this team. Love all these guys so much. Matt Deggs, you know, you, you look at a game like this where UL takes down a, a top-ranked team, and there's – there's a lot of emphasis on it, and it's not because Louisiana has a poor history of college baseball. Everyone knows what, what this university has been able to accomplish in baseball. 
But any time you can go on the road against a school that, let's let's be honest, has had a much better history of college baseball than you, when they're the number one team in the country and beat them, when there's a rivalry there also, Matt Degg says he knows what this win means. I know what this game means inside of, of our program, and I know what this game means inside of Cajun Nation, inside the city of Lafayette. And so it was the biggest game of the year. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And I told them uh, winning this game has a chance to cover up a multitude of sins <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that we've, uh, you know, that, that's just kind of transpired lately. Uh, just not great baseball. But, you know, like Rich Strike, man, you're never out of it. There's 21 horses in front of him, and he just kept running. Looking at last night in the SEC, it, it it was a it was a rough night for most SEC teams. You look at the SEC scoreboard, Florida was able to beat FAMU 17 to 7. Tennessee fell to Tennessee Tech 12 to 5. The Vols gave up 18 base hits to Tennessee Tech last night. Auburn beats Samford 13 to 3. Missouri struggles to beat Missouri State 7 to 6. Alabama falls to UAB in extras 4 to 3. And then how about number 4 Vanderbilt falling to Indiana State 10 to 2. Arkansas finishing off Central Arkansas 6 to 3, Ole Miss beating Arkansas State 6 to 3 and then of course LSU falling to Louisiana 8 to five. Looking at the RPI, Kentucky still number one. South Carolina still number two. Wake Forest jumped LSU. They swapped places. Wake Forest now three. LSU sitting at four. Again, mentioned Coastal Carolina earlier. They're at 11. Dallas Baptist up three spots to 14. Southern Miss at 19. Campbell, a team that the Cajuns played a three-game set with and was only able to win one of those games. They're sitting at 23 on the season. Mississippi State at 26. UC Irvine, 32. Troy at 36. Tennessee is at 40. And then, of course, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns coming in at 61. The Cajuns will hit the road to Harrisonburg, Virginia to play a three-game set with James Madison this weekend. To, they will play Friday at 5 o'clock Central Time in Harrisonburg, Saturday 3 o'clock Central Time, and then Sunday at 12 o'clock Central before they head back to MLT Moore Field for five straight games at home, Southern, Northwestern State, and then a three-game set with Coastal Carolina. Meanwhile, LSU will be on the road this weekend in Oxford, Mississippi for a three-game set with Ole Miss, and after last night's game, LSU met with the media again today, and we, we don't have any audio from it just yet, but I did see, so if you if you don't know, Ole Miss has a tradition where they throw beer in the air after a home run. From the student section in the outfield, they'll just chunk their beers in the air and you know, it's a big, disgusting mess. Um, but Paul Skeens told the media today that he doesn't see many beer showers taking place in Oxford this weekend. 
James a little little too much confidence from the ace or I mean I feel like it's about the right amount. I don't know if I would use that because I don't know if I would have said that during an interview because that could be bulleted board material. I would have kept that to myself. But I, I don't blame him. I mean, it's not like he's given up very many runs in general. It's and he's true. had a whole bunch of strikeouts. So, I mean, look, it's going to be a tough matchup this weekend. But I don't I don't think he's wrong when he says that. I just wouldn't have said it myself. Yeah, I, I'm definitely not going to give an SEC opponent bulletin board material. Especially a defending national champion that has struggled a little bit this year I'm definitely not giving them anything to amp them up anymore um th- than they already are to get their hands on LSU but you know to to each their own I, I suppose right N- but now now that you said it now you have to make sure that you don't give up you a better, bunch of runs and a bunch of home runs right, in that game you better you better back it up uh 4 30 here on your Wednesday we're gonna take a timeout we return Cajun's corner with Jay Walker we'll talk about last night's game plus preview the matchup with James Madison this weekend right here on The Game. Going deep downfield. He's got a receiver. It's caught. Touchdown, Louisiana. Can't get enough of the vermilion and white? Then you're in luck. Here is the Cajuns Corner with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Jay Walker, how are you, sir? I'm lovely. Beautiful day outside. I mean, a really beautiful day outside. And, and, and on top of that, Cajuns baseball took down the top-ranked team in America. They did, and and I'll um, and I'll tell you, man, that's about as scary a lineup as I've ever seen. You know, LSU's lineup is just frightening. Um, there's nobody in that lineup that's that's not a threat with a bat in their hands. And while a couple of them don't hit with a lot of power, you know, the rest of them do. And um, they're just really, really good. And, you know, the Cajun pitching staff managed to managed to calm that down a little bit last night. And that's a, that's a, that's a nice win for the program for sure. Yeah, you know, you look at this game, an 8-5 to five win, and in the first three innings when LSU was able to score one run in each of the first three, the, the, the Cajuns immediately answered with, with two of their own. That ability to answer right away – uh, just talk about that offensive performance right there and how that set the tone for the rest of the game. Well, I think it was important to do that early. You know, I mean, LSU scored a run in each of the first three innings, but crooked numbers win at Alex Box Stadium. And the Cajuns got three uh, three straight innings where they scored uh, two runs each. And that, that does a couple of things. First of all, it gives your team some confidence. And secondly, it takes the LSU crowd out of the game. And uh, they were, you know, there were a couple of times where they tried to get in the game, but they really never were. And that's very unusual when you go to a place that has the the fan base that LSU has. But they uh, they were never a factor in the game, and and that doesn't happen very often. You know, we we talked about all week long. We we've talked about the injuries that, that the Cajuns have dealt with. You know, Dylan Toit. Kyle DeBarge not still not being a hundred percent, and then you get Julian Brock, who who goes down with an illness o- over the weekend. One guy that I'm very impressed with last night. You know, we can look at the stats and and see how well Will Vayon played and how well Connor Higgs played, but how about Clay Wargo behind the dish? You know, Clay Wargo when he got to campus, 
was about as happy as a clam, all right, because Orgo had been at Coastal Carolina for two years, never got a never got an at bat in two years, and decided to decided to leave, wanted somewhere where he could at least make a little bit of a contribution. And the Cajuns are giving him that opportunity. Um, did a really nice job behind the plate last night. He got a, a, a pick off of, uh, of Cruz. And he, uh, when he was asked to get bunts down, he got bunts down. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's not going to go out and hit home runs. And he may not get a lot of base hits. But the kid loves the game. He loves to play. And he's glad that he can make a contribution. You jumped up 14 spots in the RPI last night, now sitting at... 61 and you look at the schedule the rest of the way jay you've got a series with james madison this weekend you've got a series with ulm and then you've got texas state coastal and southern miss and those last three are currently all ahead of you in the rpi including southern miss and coastal who are both in the top 20 you know what what can those series if you perform well do for you down the stretch well they they can do a lot for you and i think that's why Last night was an important game. Was it important because you beat LSU? Sure. Was it important because you knocked off the number one team? Sure. But the most important thing that happened last night is the Cajuns know now. You know, the the Cajuns have been told and the Cajuns have tried to strive to be uh, a team that can play with anybody. Uh, But now they know they can. And that has to be able to help them when they take the field not this weekend, but next against Coastal Carolina, and then the last two weeks of the season with with Texas State and Southern Miss. Because if the Cajuns are going to get where they want to be RPI wise and be considered for an at large to the NCAA, you go you got to go out and win your share of those games. Well, they know now they can beat a team like that. So that, I, I think that's the biggest thing that you take out of it. Also, you know, David Christie last night gives up one run in six innings. No one has done that to LSU this year. No one has gone as much as six innings and given up just one run. Has not happened. Christie was amazing last night. And, and, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, chatting with Jay Walker here on on Cajun's Corner. David Christie, he's kind of struggled his last couple of outings. For him to come out and have an outing like that, you know, what kind of role can he serve for for the Cajuns down this back stretch? Well, you know, I think the the role that you hope that he handles down the stretch is the role that Cooper Rawls has had, because Rawls is moving now into the weekend rotation. And so you got to have the guy that if things aren't going well early in the game, you can go ahead and bring in a guy who can change the momentum of the ball game. Rawls has done a great job of that all year long. But he's going to be in the weekend rotation now. So you got to have somebody to take that spot. And, uh, you know, Christie is a prime candidate for that. What, what spot is, is Rawls taking in the weekend rotation? Has that been announced yet? Well, uh, you know, Hammond is out. Okay, Hammond uh, has an injury. Uh, and I, from what I understand, I think he's going to be out a minute. So um, Rawls is going to start on Friday. Um and and he's you know probably going to remain in the rotation because I don't think you're going to see Hammond back quickly, so that uh, that's the role that they're going to ask him to have. Now, 
a little bit ago we were talking about RPI and you'd brought up consideration for an at-large bid. In your opinion, where do the Cajuns need to be RPI-wise to, to get an at-large? You know, I'm really not sure. Um, I don't know that there's a number, Matt. You know, a lot of times people look, well, your RPI is 46 or your RPI is 42 or your RPI is 50. I, I, I don't think that's going to decide it. I think it's going to be when they start looking at what good wins did you have, what bad losses did you have. And that's why I think, uh, you know, the, the Cajuns this year, you know, you, it's, you know the, your, your record is split into quadrants, teams in the top 50 of the RPI, that's quad one. Uh, and then you go to uh, quad two, which goes to 100, and quad three that goes to 150, and everything else after that is quad four. You know, the Cajuns have one quad four loss. That was against uh, High Point, so that's good. But the Cajuns also have a lot of games against quad three, quad four teams. What you would like to see happen is there are a few of those teams that are in quad three to go ahead, win some games, improve their RPI, get into quad two. Uh, I think that and winning your share of games in those three series that we mentioned, uh, I think is going to decide whether they've got a shot or an an at-large or if they're going to have to go to the tournament the way they went last year. Looking at the other diamond last night, softball put on an absolute clinic, taking down Southeastern seven to nothing. Now it was it was a tight game for a little while, but again Louisiana was able to to persevere and really put the game away late. Uh, talk about the the performance that they had, scoring seven runs in the sixth to end it. Yeah, I mean, look, that was a game that was very much up until their final at bat, very much up in the air. Um, I'll tell you the thing that did it for me. I mean, Maya Davis hits her first collegiate home run, and uh, Valdez hits one as well in that seven-run inning. But there was an inning where the the Cajuns made back-to-back errors, and Southeastern had runners at second and third, nobody out. And they got out of that without a run scoring. I'm... If that half inning doesn't happen with Shorman getting out of some deep trouble thanks to poor defense, I don't know that they win that game. I don't know that they have a seven-run rally at the end. I mean, maybe they do. But but I thought getting out of that and keeping it 0-0 you know, at the midway point of the game I think was big. Both teams this weekend will be on the road. Softball is at Troy. Baseball is at James Madison. What, what are your thoughts on each of these series, Jay? Well, you know, the, the, there's, there's only one team now that's standing in the way of the Cajuns probably winning a regular season championship, and, and, and they'll see them at Troy this weekend. Um, you know, you go ahead and win that series, you're probably going to be the number one seed in the tournament. So it's a big, big uh, weekend. You know, Troy is, uh, is right there uh, behind the Cajuns and Marshall uh, in the standings. Uh, they've got a solid RPI they're looking for a series win to improve their RPI and put themselves in a position maybe for an at-large. Um, so it's a, it's a big weekend. And, and honestly, to be totally frank, I think it's the last big weekend. You know, you had uh, Texas State last week and South Alabama the week before, and now Troy this week. As far as James Madison is concerned, dude, it, it's that's a hard team to figure out. If you look... At their overall stats, all right, they're they're sitting there. They've got a team batting average of about two eighty eight, and um, they played decent defense. 
and they've scored their share of runs. You look at their conference-only stats, their team batting average is about 40 points lower. They're only scoring at about a five-run-per-game clip, and their defense has abandoned them in conference games. Now, their pitching's been pretty consistent, and I think you know the guys you're going to see have been the guys that have performed on the weekend, and I think they're all pretty consistent guys. I, I don't know that the pitching staff goes real, real deep. But the big question for me is that huge disparity offensively they have between overall and conference play. Jay Walker, the voice of the Cajuns, joining us here for Cajuns Corner. Jay, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the trip up to Virginia, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, my friend. I'll look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. And there he goes, Jay Walker, the voice of the Raging Cajuns. 446 here on your who dat Wednesday edition of Crunch Time. We'll take one more time out when we return. We'll come back. We'll wrap up hour number one. We'll get to your poll question of the day and take your calls on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is coming back in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has your free tickets. Text RODEO to 337-283-8100 for the Angola Prison Rodeo this Saturday and Sunday. And you can see all the excitement from bull riding to wild horse racing and even convict poker. Text RODEO to 337-283-8100 for the world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo, courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is Crunch Time. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up hour number one here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day if you haven't already. It's a Wednesday, so it's a foodie poll question. Do you eat breakfast for dinner? Yes, it's one of my favorites. No, breakfast equals morning. Simple as that, or maybe, but I'm just not a huge fan. For me, we used to do it all the time, every Sunday. We would just do it at Sunday night, make it easy, have some cereal, make some pancakes or waffles, or cook up a bunch of eggs. Like I was doing that recently, just cooking up biscuits, cooking up sausage and eggs, and just having a good old time and that it, it wasn't just sunday it was just this on man, a regular like thursday night this man's talking about eating for breakfast eating breakfast for dinner and the first thing he mentions is cereal well that's what my dad over yourself that's not what i usually do that's what my dad does oh my god nah when you're making breakfast for dinner pancakes yeah eggs uh-huh ham sausage mm-hmm I'm, did I not mention all you, those ex- you did. outside of ham? You did, but okay. that's the only, but that's it. No cereal. That's what my dad usually does for well, dinner. Well, tell your dad that he's doing it wrong. <laughs> that's no. Pancakes covered in syrup. Absolutely drenched. I want so much syrup on my plate that my eggs taste like syrup. Oh, yeah. What? I just put it on there ahead of time. I don't even let it get in there. I just I, put it on top to begin with. And I, at, at some point, I'm just going to mix it all together. 
As you should. Oh, grab some tor- grab a tortilla and just make a big breakfast burrito. You're, you're making me want to go home and make pancakes for dinner tonight. You should. You're you're make you're making me want to do it. Instead, well, actually, instead of pancakes, well, actually, what if you did this? Made some eggs ahead of time, put it in the pancake batter. No egg pan? No. What do you no. mean? No. You're no. gonna eat it all anyway. I I that that just sounds weird. No, can't do that. People put bacon in their pancakes. Dude, that's weird too. And I love bacon. That's weird too. It's like you you would think I would love a bacon donut. They have those places that sell the little maple donuts with the bacon on top. Mm-hmm. No, don't give me that. I don't want that. No. But you'd be fine with chocolate chips in your pancakes? Absolutely. Blueberries? Absolutely. But you have an issue. They go but, you ha- but you have an issue. But you have an issue with someone putting bacon in their pancakes because it's weird. But you know, it, it's funny. You know what's you know it, you know what's weird. But you see, what's funny is I call it weird, but yet I'll eat my bacon on top of a pancake. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I I don't see what the big difference I'm, is. Look, man, I'm a weird cat. You know, and you know what's another thing? People are so focused on putting like ketchup on their burgers. And they put ketchup on their fries and all where, that stuff. Where, where are you going with this? People get so upset when I say I don't think it's bad that people put ketchup in their grilled cheese. Or like not in the grilled cheese, but you dip it. It's like, what's the issue? See, I, I'm going to agree with you. I don't like ketchup as much now as I used to. But when I was a kid, you go anywhere for breakfast, or even if you made it at home, and you ordered hash browns, mm-hmm. oh, dude, I'm putting ketchup on the hash browns. I probably won't, but I'm not saying that's a terrible thing to do. And I would just get the dirtiest looks. For me, even like my family, like, why are you doing... It's the same thing as putting ketchup on a fry. It's potatoes. Right. They're just cooked differently. Because it's so funny how people get crucified for putting ketchup on steak, like Patrick Mahomes does. But it's like when you put a ketchup on a burger, they get upset with me for putting ketchup in the grilled cheese. It's like so... The difference in putting it is the beef, yeah. but, with, but with beef and steak, it's like it, it's such a, it's such a weird thing. It's like why are you getting upset about this, but not this. My my father in law gave me crap. I don't know two weeks ago, he made us steaks, and I dipped it in barbecue sauce, <laughs> and he just looked at me the whole time like, why are you ruining my steak? Right. I, I did I did all this work. Right. Like and, why and you're ruining it with ketchup? Are you why me? Why are you doing this? Oh, but look, you know, uh, <laughs> something that something that could be ruined, depending on who you talk to, is if the Saints take a quarterback at any point in this draft. And nope, wrong, can't be ruined. You need one, but well, maybe not right now. Down the line, sure. But the Saints had a top thirty visit with one Dorian Thompson Robinson, the quarterback out of UCLA. I like him. I like Dorian. I don't know. He's not a good... I don't know if he'd be a necessarily a good fit because he doesn't fit the mold that the Saints usually go with. doesn't mean they can't change it up. But if I'm the Saints, I don't want to draft a quarterback unless it's in the first round. And even then, it's like I would need one to fall to See, me. I disagree. I disagree. If you've got a kid that you think you know three years from now mm-hmm. can make an impact for you, so th- and you could get him in the fourth or fifth round. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Because here's the thing. So then his, people. So then potentially, you say that. So Derek Carr plays three years, but then the final year, you're like, Derek, you're not really cutting it. Let's test out Dorian or if whoever you, or whoever you draft in the fifth round. By that point, we're in his last year of his contract. So it's almost like college, where it's like he doesn't actually get to play till his final year. Well, if Derek Carr hasn't played well, then yeah. But let's say he pl- so Derek Carr because we don't assume he's going to play bad by the end of his third year to where you you need to get a replacement or start someone else. You're telling me he will play the all four years, so then you play the full contract and you don't have the fifth year option because you draft him in the fifth round or fourth round. Then you have to extend him. To me, it's like I would rather just wait two or three years and then have him on that rookie contract. Or or you just say this. Cat, you were a fifth-round pick. Go play somewhere else. But then why couldn't you have just used the pick or used it to leverage to go up and go get another guy that you wanted instead of just taking a QB to just well, I'm not fill saying, that spot? I'm not saying just take a QB to fill the spot. But if there's a guy that you feel like you could have a future with your franchise, then yeah, I'm fine with taking a mid-round pick on him. Not just taking some scrub off the street. I'm not talking about just drafting a guy to draft a guy. It's just uh, if you feel like there's a fit, take him. Hour number one in the books. We'll continue this conversation to kick off hour number two right here on the game. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Mammy guys, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Call us on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. I got some breaking news here in between the top of the hour. From Adam Schefter, Louisiana wide receiver draft prospect Michael Jefferson, who was hit by a drunk driver on Easter night, was released from the hospital today. He is expected to miss this season, but doctors believe he should be able to play in 2024. Now, There's a statement here from his attorney, Brad Son, that says, A drunk driver tragically hit my client, Michael Jefferson. Michael would not have made it this far without being a fighter and remains in good spirits under the circumstances. He still has optimism that even as he continues to undergo a grueling rehabilitation, he can have an outstanding NFL career. We believe that optimism is well-founded and hope a team still will select this terrific young man and great football player. Finally, we'd also like to take this opportunity to remind everyone that in today's age of Uber and Lyft, there's absolutely no reason to drive impaired. So, Michael Jefferson released from the hospital, hopes to have... An NFL career that's just going to begin a a year later. James, pretty good news considering what we were hearing about a week ago. Right. We were worried that he couldn't necessarily play football ever again. So the fact that he has a good possibility of playing in 2024, that's really good news to hear from him. Yeah. I mean, if he's only going to miss, obviously it's unfortunate that he's going to miss an entire rookie year. And and now there's a large possibility that he won't get drafted. Correct. Um, I mean, that's obviously unfortunate. There, there's no doubt. 
But the fact that he's even going to be able to play again is huge. And I've you've seen the tape. Michael Jefferson is going to get selected by somebody, whether it's drafted or as an undrafted free agent. He is going to be on an NFL team. It's a nice flyer for you to be able to take at the end of the like after the draft for undrafted free agents because you can look at the tape, but with him being injured, it's not like you can really watch him during rookie mini camp, during mini camp, training camp, nope. or any sort of practices for any other team. So I don't, I feel like whoever would pick him up as an undrafted free agent, there would be no other tape for anybody else to go ahead and take him because it's like, well, why would we take a guy if we haven't really seen much other than the tape? And we don't know what he's looking like because we're not in the building that he's with. And staying on the topic of the NFL, let's look at let, let's continue the conversation we were having at the end of hour number one. So, James, what, what I'm what I'm getting at is, and and I'm not necessarily saying that I would take Dorian Thompson Robinson, right? But what I'm saying is that if you have looked at a quarterback prospect like a Jake Hayner, like a Tanner McKee, mm-hmm. like a Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and you think that this guy can A, fit into your system, and B, make an impact for you down the line. Because yes, I, I agree with your point about not having the fifth-year option, but who's to say if he spends his first contract as a backup, you're probably only re-signing him for what? $2 million a year? Three million a year. If you got a guy that feel you feel like long term could make an impact for you, I'd I'd spend a fifth or sixth round pick on him. Absolutely. I mean, I guess you could use the flyer on it, but I I just feel like if you I feel like there's other quarterbacks in next year in 2025's draft that you could take a quarterback later or earlier if if you really see one in general, and then just take it then and then you. <laughs> And then hopefully by that point, you have a better rounded squad and have kind of like how we saw with uh, with the Rams, where it was like you built up your squad and then you drafted golf. And by his second or third year, you were contending for a Super Bowl yep. on a rookie contract. That's that's my thought process. No, look, I, I don't I don't disagree with that way either. I'm not saying that the Saints are going to take a quarterback. I'm saying that if. There's a prospect there that they feel like could work. I wouldn't be against it. So, look, I, I could I could really see it going either way. But one thing that I have kind of come to, to terms with is I really don't see the Saints drafting a skill player again in the first round this year. Uh, they, they drafted Chris Olave last year. They moved up to get Chris Olave. I really think they're going line. As unsexy as that pick is, I think the Saints are going either offensive or defensive line in the first round. I just I've I've given up on the fact that they're going to take a skill player. If they take a skill player, I will be jumping through the ceiling and I will come on these airwaves and eat my crow. I just don't see it happening. Mickey Loomis. It's rare that Mickey Loomis takes skill players in the first round, and the fact that he moved up to get one last year. Paints the picture that he's not going to take one again this year. Let's go to the game hotline now. Frank, what's up? 
Uh, not a lot. Uh, sorry about the lack of phone calls. I've been working harder than a fat girl's G-string. How y'all doing? <laughs> I'm fantastic, sir. What you got? Oh, uh, well, look, um, as far as for, uh, because I, I don't know if you talk to Clint or Ben too often, but I like to absorb all the stuff y'all talk about on the radio. And I like to, you know, let it sink in for a little while. Um, Joe Burrow must be sitting on his couch just laughing like Beavis and Butthead going, oh, I'm about oh. to get paid. Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's absolutely salivating right now. Oh, he's salivating, dude. He, you don't even have to eat a steak dipped in ketchup. I mean, he, he's happier than a clam in mud right now. Um, uh, everything else going on, I'm, I'm proud of UL, uh, USL, uh, ULL, since it's changed so many times. Uh, I'm proud of him. I'm glad when the little brother beats the big brother. Um, I am a little brother. Uh, I was I was happy for him. Uh, they they got a notch on the bedpost. I'm proud of them. They did it and they did it right. Uh, I'm glad that uh, everything went well for them. They did everything proper. They kept LSU bats under wraps. Um, and everything y'all been talking about just been spot on. Uh, um, as far as for the Saints, if they get a skilled player, dude, I'm going to die. they got to get somebody on the defensive end because if they keep giving Cam uh, another year, another year, another year, because they traded Trey Hendrickson, and I don't know if you remember back in the gap, but I was the first one to complain about them letting him go. They should have paid that dude. I agree. Um uh, they should have paid him outright. Cincinnati, $60 million. Oh, man, come on. You can match it. Now you're paying a guy that's been sitting on the bench for, what, two years and ain't giving you squat? Uh, so, but, guys, I just wanted to tell you all I love the show, and you all keep up the great work. I'm going to talk to you all later. I'm out. Frank, appreciate you, my man. Yeah, look, James, I, I know that you like Tano Passanio. And it's a cool name, and it's a cool story. The guy's not going to cut it. I'm not saying he's the starter. I mean, I, I know. I just, <laughs> I know, I know you have a, a love he's affair a, with he's him. He's a good rotational piece. I know you. I know you love you some Tano Passanio. Um, look, I don't disagree with Frank. I, I think they need an edge rusher. Right? Do I think they need to spend their first round draft pick on it? Not necessarily. If there but, is, if there's another prospect. They're forty if they miss out on like everybody because not everybody in this like early on is a scheme fit, right? For the Saints because they run more they run a traditional four three more often than not and then run more of a four two five because they like to run a lot of three corners and or what they used to do with Rob Ryan was a lot of three safety looks. Yep. So and even then, I mean, you had C.J. Gardner Johnson who was drafted as a safety but you had him play slot corner so yep. it's it's basically all the same thing it's a 4-2-5 4-3 traditionally but like and nolan smith with georgia it's more of a 3-3-5 3-4 same thing with miles murphy and all the clemson guys so it's like if you really wanted to go brian Breesy, i think maybe I on think, the interior i think nolan smith could adjust to the 4-3 though I really yeah, think he could. It's just it's not the same archetype. For sure. For sure. Because Saints love getting the big powerful guys that can bat passes that are six five and above. And Nolan, even though he's he measures really well, he's got great speed, he's really intelligent, he's got the athleticism. He's six three. But also, what does Joe Woods run? What's Joe Woods' defensive philosophy? 
because things things might change a little bit now that you have a new defensive coordinator. But I, I get what you're saying, and here's my point. I don't think that the Saints have to spend a first-round pick on a defensive end. But whether it's Thursday or it's Friday, in one of those first three rounds, you have three picks in the first three rounds. James, one of those picks has to be an edge rusher. If anything, I would, in a perfect world, I would want those first three picks, or even, even because I don't know about Osiris Torrance. I don't know if he'll be available at forty or not. If you can get him at forty, that'd be awesome. Otherwise, I'd want to go and get two defensive linemen, one on edge, one on the interior, with twenty nine and forty, and then at seventy, go get a wide receiver. Hmm. So you're saying do line in the first and second round? Double double line, whether it's offense or defense, either side, either maybe, side, maybe one of each or both. Yeah, maybe one of each. And if it's both, it would be it would be on the defense. And then in the third round, people talk about getting Zay Flowers and Josh Downs and Quentin Johnston and Jackson Smith and Jig Ball in the first round. Hey, spoiler alert! This guy's about to tell you to go draft At Perry. I'm no, I'm not. <laughs> I, look, I wanted A.T. Perry, but now that you got Brian Edwards, it's, it just doesn't look like it's going to work out. But Marvin Mims, the guy out of Oklahoma, yeah, yeah. he's able to play both in on the inside in the slot and on the outside. And he gives another speed threat just in case um, Rashid Shahid doesn't end up working out for you, which I, I think he will, but more insurance and more speed on the outside to stretch the field, especially with Derek Carr, who loves throwing deep shots. I think it would work out pretty well. And look, I, I get the point of you don't know that if Rashid Shahid's going to work out for you because it's only been a year. And he was an undrafted free agent. But he, but here's my thing. What did he show you last year to show that he wouldn't work? That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's not going to work. I'm just saying we've seen guys that come out of nowhere for one year, have a crazy one-year wonder, and then go away. So in case that ends up happening for Rashid, getting Marvin Mims... He'd be another guy that can be in the slot, be on the outside, stretch the field, and still do return work. Now, when you look at Marvin Mims, I'm gonna start with his with his combine results. You know, some people care about him, some people don't. I don't. I don't. Especially with the 40 yard dash, I don't care about the 40 yard dash for a wide receiver because when you're a wide receiver, you're focused on more being quick. And agile and changing direction than you are just running straight line speed. So three, how often are you going to see somebody run a full sprint so as a wide receiver? Three cone drill. Three cone could matter. Yeah, six point nine seconds. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. A four three eight forty. Like that. Like when you see a four three eight, to me that's lanyap. That's not a a requirement for me because you look, like Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think Jackson Smith is probably the best one. Out of all the guys. The best receiver? I would prefer Jackson Smith over everyone else. But that's just me. I know Ooh. I would I would have Jordan Addison as like number two. Oh. But I, I prefer Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he ran a four five. Oof. That's that's bold. And look, I like Jackson Smith and Jigba a lot. Dude, Jordan Addison. He's a dog. Don't get me wrong. That guy I, is different. I have it as Smith and Jigba, and then a pretty close second is Addison. I don't think there's worlds of difference. I would 
I just slightly prefer Smith and Jigba over Addison. I mean, you look at Jordan Addison's numbers. His freshman year at, at Pitt, 60 catches, 666 yards, and four touchdowns. And then 2021, the year he won the Bolitnikoff with Kenny Pickett, 1,593 yards and 17 touchdowns. And then last year at Pitt, he had a down year and caught 59 balls for 875 yards and eight touchdowns. The guy's the guy's insane at, at six foot one seventy five. Um, now, now look, I, I think he and Jackson Smith and Jigba, either one of them will have incredible careers in the NFL. And look, you know, the more you bring up Mar- Marvin Mims, the more I'm kind of getting on board with it, <laughs> as you should. The more I'm kind of getting on board with it. Um, he is a freaky fast receiver mm-hmm. that has good hands and spreads the field. Average 19 and a half yards per catch for his career. For his career. Not in one season. His four-year career. 19 and a half yards per catch. That is insane. Great numbers. So if he can bring that kind of production to New Orleans... Sign me up. I'll buy a Marvin Mims jersey for all I care. I'll love that dude. Take a time out here, 518 on your Wednesday. We come back. We'll talk NBA and NHL playoffs, including Draymond Green actually got suspended. We'll talk about that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Presented by Mr. Bill's Seafood Express, the Southwest Beverage Company, Line of Bed out of West Lake, and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight at 6 as host Jim Gazzola will be talking all things Cowboys. And you can hear it right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 522, welcome back. Crunch time here on the game. 337-706-0111 is the number to call on the game. Hotline. Because you updated on a couple of top stories in sports. Tiger Woods had ankle surgery today. There's no timetable on his return. Apparently, the ankle was to repair a fracture that was leading to some post-traumatic arthritis in his ankle. Um, it was performed in New York City, and he is looking forward to his recovery. Also, Mets pitcher Max Scherzer was ejected from today's game between the Mets and Dodgers after the umpires checked his hand and glove for a sticky substance. Scherzer came out of the dugout to take the mound for the fourth inning, and they were joined by the Mets manager. And after a heated discussion, Scherzer was tossed from the game. He was forced to 
change his glove when he took the mound to the bottom of the third inning. And then when he went back out for the bottom of the fourth, they checked him again and ejected him. Uh, according to Max Serger, he claimed that it was rosin from his rosin back. So, look, I don't know. But the the idea that umpires are, are checking gloves and hands as they come out for an inning rather than when they exit the field at the end of an inning, wild. All last year, pitchers got their gloves checked as they came off the field. And now we're checking guys as they come out onto the field? I guess you got to check the dugout at that point, too. Right, right. Like, get your little magnifying glass and and, and scan each fiber of the wooden bench in the dugout. Get a flashlight just in case. Get in those dark corners. Get get your black light. make, Make sure you don't see nothing. Like, give me a break. Like, and I understand, I, I truly understand the integrity part of the game. I get it. But are we really acting, and I'm not saying it doesn't make a difference because it clearly does, but my question is, does a pitcher using a quote-unquote illegal substance make that much of a difference? Honestly, because, and almost to the point where you go back to the steroid era, it was okay then. Guys did it all the time. It was a normal thing. And now they're punished for it. I don't know. It it just seems like the MLB just keeps going back and forth on what's acceptable and what isn't. Um, but again, that that's neither here nor there. Looking at the NBA playoffs, another great night of NBA action last night. Boston taking down Atlanta 119-106. to The Cavs evening the series with the Knicks 107-90. to And then the Phoenix Suns evening the series with the Clippers 123-109. to James, your Celtics got a 13-point win. They're up 2-0. How you feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what you expected. Not to look past an opponent, but I mean... It's kind of what you expected. It, it's it's kind of what you... Yeah, it's kind of what you expected. Because <laughs> the Hawks, they have taken at least two steps back from what they were doing last year and in, in previous years when they went to the conference finals. They're just... Not that good of a team, and when you're a Celtics team that made it to the finals last year, you kind of have that expectation, and it almost feels like a let's just get done with business and get out of here and stay as healthy as possible. Well, look, it is not a good recipe for success when Trey Young, who is known for being an electric three-point shooter, shoots two of eight from downtown. No. He's he's a volume shooter. He's not... He he's not known for his efficiency. No, he has to t- he has to take a lot of threes for him to make a, a few threes to make it respectable. He's not going to go three two. for he's not going to go three for five or two for five. He's going to need to shoot at least eight, nine, ten threes for him to get his third, fourth, fifth. Two of eight. Ugh. 
Meanwhile, DeJounte Murray, 7 of 13. He had 29 points. That's a that's a pretty respectable performance. He had 18 from DeAndre Hunter as well, which, by the way, can I just say that I wanted the Pelicans to draft DeAndre Hunter when he came out of Virginia? Like, I just want that to be known. I really wanted the Pelicans to draft DeAndre Hunter that year. James, would you have been okay with the Pelicans drafting DeAndre Hunter? Yeah, I would have been fine with that. I mean, I I was cool with them taking Jackson Hayes initially. I'm like, oh, this is good. That's a that's a that's a solid pick. Get him at eight, and then he just hasn't really panned out. So it's all it's always interesting to look at it hindsight wise, where you're like, well, see, maybe if you would have listened to me, maybe I mean, I don't don't, maybe maybe don't listen to me every time. I don't but know every once much. in a while, I feel like I, I feel like I'm right. And looking at DeAndre Hunter for you, it's like it would have been cool to have him. I don't know how much the Pelicans would have had to give up to move up to four after drafting Zion, but you could have packaged eight. You you had some picks to work with, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you you had. I think you had two seconds that year. I think the issue was it was just they had so many young pieces, but they didn't know which ones to get rid of. Yeah, they were like, uh, well, we have. So, what if we get rid of the wrong one? Yeah, you know, you, you run that risk sometimes. Well, tonight's NBA schedule, the Lakers and Grizzlies game two. Will Ja Morant play? That's going to be the question. Because if he doesn't, now look, I've I've made this argument before. The Grizzlies have had a successful record the last two years when Ja Morant does not play. However, the Lakers are rolling. Ever since they made those trades for Rui Hachimura and D'Lo, and then having Austin Reese play more minutes coming off the bench, they have been a well-oiled machine. They have been a completely different team since those trades. Do AD and LeBron play tonight? Both players are listed as doubtful. Do they try to go? Or do you look at this game as a, hey, we already took one, Let's give them the night off. Maybe at worst, you know, Memphis wins and it's split and we go back home. I think you give it a shot, but if there is any sort of chance that they maybe injure themselves. Yeah, I'm, about to say, I'm not pushing them. Like, I'm not pushing you to the limits and having you play in 40 minutes. Like, I'll, I'll throw you out there for 20, and if it's like, if you're looking good, maybe we keep going. But if the Grizzlies are coming out on fire and you're down 15. Yeah. If, if Early I'm, in the second, then it's like, we're going to push if, back. If, if I'm Darvin Ham, I'm leaving it up to LeBron and AD. If they feel like they can go, then let them go. Because if you can go up 2-0 to zero over the Grizzlies, it's huge. And you're going back to Los Angeles for Game 3. Well, then you have all the momentum and you're in the driver's seat. But if they but, have... But if you lose, it's right. not the worst spot because you're still going back to LA anyway. Correct. And, but if LeBron or AD have any inkling of, like, like I'm not, I, I don't, I don't feel great. Like, like if, like if they step in five minutes in, it's like, I don't know, right? Just yank them, cut it, done. Because done. you you can't have Anthony Davis and LeBron out no. for multiple games or even for the rest of the series. Nope, because the, because then you you lost your chance. Yeah, no, absolutely. Up, oh, just been announced. John Morant is out. Okay. For game two against the Lakers. So that makes it a little bit easier. You still have to worry about Jaron Jackson Jr., but not having Jaw on the court at all, that does what's, help the Lakers' chances. What's going to happen in that Miami Milwaukee game? Oh, 
I, I, I'm still trying to figure that out because you're down Tyler Hero, but then Giannis definitely in 100%. He's he's listed as doubtful as of today. Right. So it's like if if he doesn't play either, I, it almost feels like you kind of have to. It's it's different because you're down 0-1 as the Bucks. Correct. If you go to Miami down 0-2, you're in trouble. Well, then you're you're in deep doo doo, bud. Yeah, you're in big trouble. And then the last game tonight, Minnesota and Denver. Can the T Wolves bring it back to Minneapolis, tied one one? Mm, I wish they can, could, but I'm can, not. Can, can Ant Man go off? I think Ant-Man can go off, but I don't know if it's going to be enough because I think Denver still wins. That's respectable. I, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that. Denver did win by 30 right. in game one. so And even then, I, I think Denver is going to head back. I think they're going to go back to Denver for game five, and the Nuggets are going to be at 3-1 the series. Gentlemen sweep? That's what I see. Gentlemen yeah. sweep. Maybe they get a little annoying and end up winning game five in Denver and then forcing it back to to Minnesota, but at that point, I think at the worst, it would be Denver and six. So let me ask you this. If the Pelicans would have made it out of the play-in and it'd be Denver and New Orleans, is that a sweep? Or is that a gentleman's sweep? I'd, I'd look more at gentleman's sweep. You might st- you might win. I think you would win game three, but then game would, four, would Denver Zion, wins. Would Zion have played? Probably not, no. Oh, yuck. 533 here on your Wednesday. And a Wednesday means that it's Houdat Wednesday. We'll talk with Brendan Nurdle of Canal Street Chronicles next. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Houdat Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan Ertle, what's going on, my guy? How are you? What's up, guys? Doing good. So we're a week away from the draft. How how you How you feeling? I think I'm a little biased in this, but I feel like the, the draft draft weekend is probably the best weekend of football that there is. I I, I think I can say that. I, I'm a, a draft nerd. I love the draft, and you know, NFL Sundays are great and and whatnot, and scoring touchdowns and great and whatnot. But there's just something about the draft. You know, it's just a different vibe. How many mock drafts have you done? If I told you, I think you'd uh, report me. So, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I think Matt might report me soon. I was about to say, James. James has done like five mock drafts today. That's weak. <laughs> that's weak. Well, that's because. So well, that's because like well, I've hour. been. I've gotten it to the by the hour. I've got, right. I've gotten to the Packers pick, and I keep like restarting because I'm trying to figure out what the Packers and the Commanders are going to do at 15 and 60. It's really hard. Just mock drafts in general are so difficult because it's like you can you can predict March Madness, and I mean the odds of getting that right is is impossible. But I think getting the first round of the NFL draft is even harder, just because of all the trades and stuff and whatnot. But you know the mock drafts I do today are going to be you know ninety five percent wrong of what actually happens. But I, I feel like the Packers and Commanders are an interesting spot they're kind of like what where we were last year where um i wouldn't be surprised if they take a couple things but they're in that kind of tweener spot where uh it's like do you trade up do you stay there yeah it's it's a tough spot right because it i've respectfully for me i went 
I had like nine and eight the last two years doing my mock drafts for our website, like right on the money. And I was like, dude, I think I hit it out the park. And that's only getting like 25% of them correct. I mean, that, that, that's all you can do. And, uh, you know, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba has been a hot name for the Packers, but that's someone that I keep mocking to them. But you, you need that. You need to first mock the player that you think makes sense for the team. And then you also need to mock, okay, what would the Packers actually do? You think they're actually going to take a wire seat in the first round? Well, no, they, they don't do that. So then you have to take an effect for, you know, what, what that team usually does. So it's, it's really hard. It's a really hard spot. But wouldn't it be something if, if you know, the, the first draft post Aaron Rodgers, and I, I know what James is about, well, the Packers still technically have Aaron Rodgers. Yes, I know, but you know he's not playing for him. First draft. I knew you were going to go there. The first draft post Aaron Rodgers. Wouldn't it be so funny if they took like Zay Flowers? You know what? I, so, I, as a Saints fan, and I have, I have no reason to hate any Packers fans. I kind of want, I want that feeling for the Packers. You know, we we had this this great coach in Sean Payton, and I'll always be thankful for him. But for some reason, he just didn't like having good wide receivers. He just didn't like having them. And now that he's gone, we're bringing all these fun, cool wide receivers. It's it's kind of nice. So, you know, I don't wish bad things on anyone, so go for it. Now, with the Saints sitting at 29, do, do you think they stay there? Should they move up? Should they trade out and move down? What do you think? So... I, I mean, it, it's it really is a tough spot, and if I were to put money on it right now, I'm saying that they trade the pick. I, I just don't feel like the value is really there at 29. And when I say trade the pick, I mean trade up or, in a rare circumstance, trade down because the Saints love to get value with their selections. They're not just going to make a pick to make a pick. We've seen that. And most of the time they have a guy in mind. Uh, but 29, there's just it's a weird spot. Um, you know, everyone's circling the defensive line. I think that's a huge need. Um, if a guy like Miles Murphy, Lucas Van Ness, if they start to fall a little bit into the late teens, go up and get them. But if they don't, I mean, the value to take defensive line in the first round is not there. The defensive tackles that you're, you'll, you will be selecting in the first round, you know, uh, Maxie Smith, uh, Kalaje Kansi, those guys are second-round kind of value picks. You can get those guys at 40. And if one of those guys are gone, another one will be there. They will, there will be a defensive tackle that we all like at 40. So do we reach and take one at 29 just because of need? Well, no. I, I feel like they, they should uh, take the best value. And if the best value is trading up, then it's trading up. In the rare circumstance that they stay at 29, I mean, they could just sit there and take best available player. But we don't know, you know, is, is a guy like Dalton Kincaid going to fall in um, – it'd be a perfect circumstance for them. I, I don't know. It's really going to have to depend on you know, who falls, who stays. And, you know, that's part of the fun, I guess. I kind of have an idea. I, I wonder what you think about it. I don't see a tight end being drafted in the first round by the Saints. Like, when do they ever do that? And I feel like they just really like Jawan Johnson. So getting mm-hmm. getting one in the first round when you still have Jawan and you have Taysom Hill technically listed as a tight end, even though he doesn't really play in the tight end position all that often. I kind of look at more you do line, whether it's defensive line or offensive line, in the first two rounds. So you either go like edge or like Mozzie at 29 
and then get Osiris Torrance potentially at 40. Otherwise, go get another defensive lineman that isn't, if you go get interior like Mozzie, go get an edge rusher. And then mm-hmm. in the third round, I like Marvin Mims, the wide receiver out of Oklahoma, because he can play mm-hmm. inside, outside, and he can do punt return work just in case, like, I don't believe Rashichi he's going to fall off the cliff and be a one-hit wonder, but in case that happens, that's more insurance because he can play outside, he can play in the slot, and he's a great return man looking, looking at what his highlights said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that. I, just, I, I think the Saints offense needs one more offensive piece, whether that's a running back, a tight end, a wide receiver. They just need one more piece, it feels like. Um, I think Derek Carr can elevate all of these guys, and I think they'll all be uh, fine with him. But even a guy like uh, a guy I keep going back to, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, he's kind of like the Michael Thomas build in, in a way. Um, but, yeah, I really like that formula. And um, taking offensive line in the first round would probably shock a lot of people. But you look at the guard situation on this team. You have Pete on the final year of his deal with the re- reworked contract. And Cesar Ruiz facing that uh, fifth-year option coming up that's really expensive. And I, I don't think they'll pick it up. But I think I'm confident that they'll be able to you know, work on a, a longer-term deal after that. I really don't think that they're going to let him leave uh, with his up upward progression. But, yeah, if they take a guy like Osiris Torrance, I, I wouldn't hate it. I, I don't think it's the wrong thing to do. And, I mean, we've seen from the Saints that they really value taking offensive and defensive line in the first two rounds of the draft. That's just kind of where um, the value is. And the reason I bring up tight end and wide receiver uh, in the first round is kind of because the positional value is ridiculous right now. You're not going to go get um, – <laughs> A Chris Olave in, in the third or fourth round, or or in free agency, you're not going to get anything close to that. If Olave was a free agent right now, he'd probably be commanding, you know, Christian Kirk numbers, which is just ridiculous. So uh, I also think of it that way, and I don't know how how the Saints think of it, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. There's no really glaring holes and no glaring holes that they can't fill. I still think there's some great defense line in free agency that they'll. Um, hit up regardless of what happens in the draft, too. So uh, that's always an option as well. How about this as a potential trade? Because I don't see the Saints trading back. I can't remember the last time that they did. I think it was in the early 2000s, like 2004 or something. (laughs) Um, But I see them trading up and trading into the early 20s or even 20 itself with a team that likes to trade back a lot in the Seattle Seahawks. And then at that point, I think you have – if Lucas Van Ness is there – I say go get him there because he kind of matches what the Saints want to do. He plays inside, outside, on the D-line, and he, he played in a 4-3 system like the Saints. He's not as big as like Davenport and then were, but the fact that he has that flexibility. If he's, mm-hmm. still, if he's there at the late teens, early 20s, I'd try and call one of those teams and be like, hey, what do you want? Because he's still there and we need that guy. I 100% agree, and we will hear the rumors. You you can write this down in pen. You can write down in Sharpie. We will hear rumors on draft day. Saints are making calls, and <laughs> every time, you know they're they're going to. It's it's just they're doing their due diligence, and you know I'm, I don't want them to be like the 49ers where they trade up for Mac Jones and end up taking Trey Lance. That clearly doesn't work. So just make make your make your calls, do your due, due diligence, and if a guy like Van Ness does fall. I mean, it's kind of an awkward draft in terms of kind of edge defenders. I feel like there's Will Anderson and then there's a lot of others. 
but I feel like he's one of the ones that um, can make a huge difference in uh, now, not not in a year or two, but but now. So, um, you know, Lucas Maness and Miles Murphy, the two guys we keep bringing up, just because that's going to be like the range of the late teens. But you know, I don't think either of those guys fall, and if they are there in the late teens, uh, package the first or second or first and third, and go get them. It makes sense. Go get your value in the pick. So I have an answer to your question, James. Um, this is an article that was written last year when the Saints drafted Chris Olave, and says success often finds teams that zig when everyone else is zagging. And it's clear that while most clubs are looking to hoard future picks and build their roster for the long term, New Orleans is content to take a road less traveled. No one carpes the diem quite like the Saints, who have traded <laughs> up 24 times in the last 16 drafts and haven't traded back since 2007. Oh, oh, seven and early to mid two thousands, and they haven't traded out of the first round completely in at least a generation. <laughs> see, so it's like I, I don't see them trading out of the first round, especially with them being at twenty nine. Now, one last for you, Brennan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. When, <laughs> when, when do you see them go and get a running back? And who? Please, please tell this boy that the Saints are drafting Deuce Vaughn so that he can get <laughs> the free sauce. Um, I, you know what? I think I think it would make sense. Probably late day two, day three ish. Um, but I really do think, and I kind of wonder. You know, we keep talking about running back. We talk about the need at running back, and I'm not saying that I think this, but is Dennis and Pete sitting in there saying like, "Yeah, we need a running back really bad because yeah, we bring up Alvin Kamara, we bring up Jamal Williams." Uh, yeah, we need a run, young running back, but you know who we keep forgetting to bring up is Taysom Hill. I I just I don't see them, um, you know, getting away from that Taysom Hill package. I, I think it's here to stay, and that's ten runs a game where they feel like, you know, we can get five plus every time this dude touches the football. So you got Jamal and Taysom as your if if you're if you're making a Madden roster right now, I'm putting Taysom at running back. I'm not putting him at quarterback. I'm not putting him at tight end. Tight end. So if if there's not a running back that really fits their mold um, at any pick, I, I don't think it's an absolute must because last year we were kind of saying like, yeah, we could use one. Um, but yeah, I, I will never go away from from Deuce Vaughn, Tajay Spears, anyone like that uh, later in the draft. I think if you can get a guy with your third or first round third or fourth round pick, I think that's ideal. Um, I just don't know what the Saints are thinking. It's going back to, to what, what these teams are thinking. Like, Do the Saints think they really need a running back right now? Um, I don't know. I'll definitely take one. And um, You know, they're pretty good at drafting running backs in the later rounds. I mean, they've hit on, you know, they haven't drafted many, but the past couple have been Boston Scott, Boston Scott and Alvin Kamara. So, I mean, they're hitting on them, so um, keep firing. Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles joining us here on Crunch Time for Houdat Wednesday. Brendan, appreciate your time as always. My friend, next week, we uh, 24 hours away from the draft. Yes, sir. It's, it's Christmas week next week. <laughs> there he goes, Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. We'll take a time out, wrap up today's show right after this. 
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, wants to hook you up with a, the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AV and more. It's the Ultimate Man Cave Makeover, powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite, and the game. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up today's show. The Houston Astros need a, need a win, yet again. Uh, 7-10 first pitch, 6-40 pregame, and you can catch it right here on the game. A little delayed, because uh, the McNeese Coach Show gets underway at 6. We will catch up with the Astros beginning at 7, Luis Garcia on the mound for the Strohs while they will face off against Jose Barrios. The Toronto Blue Jays, a minus 115 favorite in this game. The Astros 8-10, and 5-7 and seven at Minute Maid Park, while the Blue Jays are 11-7 and seven and 7-5 and five on the road. I want to take this opportunity to thank our guests today, Jay Walker and Brendan Earle, for joining us. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk some NHL hockey with Dane Lewis, the host of Locked on Stars, and tons more. We'll continue our draft conversation, talk about the NBA playoffs, and your calls on the hotline. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, 4-6, to six, right here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Jim Gazzolo and the McNeese Coaches Show is up next.